we're continuing with a long series, but today I'm going to come from a different book, still dealing with the story from last week that we were addressing in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to take a look over at Mark chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 28 through 34. Now, what you don't have on the board, I'm going to read in Matthew a passage for you. And then come back to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Lillian, it is good to see you here with your mom. You know we've been been not only talking about you, we've been trying to get you here. Look at there, you here. (laughs) It's good to see you. It's good to see you. I'm going to read a passage for you in Matthew chapter 28. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 22. Verse 34. I'm going to read this one verse, and then I'm going to go over to the book of Mark. Matthew 22, verse 34. This is how it reads. I'm going to ask you this today. If you would stand with me as I read on the board. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any. More questions. You may be seated. And as you take your seat, will you repeat with me, almost saved. Almost saved. In the book of Matthew, as we have been looking at this passage, the last couple of weeks, we said that there had been in this chapter a three pronged attack against Jesus. It was the Pharisees who came first with the Herodians and they asked the question of Jesus about paying taxes to Caesar. After Jesus Jesus had put them away, had basically humiliated them, the Sadducees came next. And they are the ones who don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in spirits. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in life after death. 
raised a question to Jesus. And many commentators believe that it was a made-up question. But they said there was a woman who had been married to seven men and they didn't have any children. And in fact, it was the law that we looked at at the Old Testament that if a brother had a wife and didn't have any children, the next brother was to marry the widow, and the first son that was to be born was to be the son of the dead brother in order that the name would be perpetuated. So their question to Jesus was, there had been seven brothers who married her and no children. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And we came to discover in their trick question, we'd saw right through it from the very beginning. Jesus did in the fact that they didn't believe in the resurrection. And here they are, and the Lord said right from the start, you are wrong because you, not, you neither understand the scriptures nor the power of God. In this occasion that we have before us now, we have this third attempt to try to entrap Jesus in his words. And we have now the Pharisees that have regrouped and have come back, and they have now come with the third question. Now I want you to note something. That in the passage that we have in Mark, and the reason why I chose Mark rather than reading or continuing on with the one in Matthew, because there was and is the description of a scribe, a lawyer, who comes and stands on behalf of the whole group. I don't care what questions you try to trap Jesus in, you're going to be trapped. I don't care what you try to do, Jesus cannot be trapped. We noticed that the last time. Come as you may, Jesus, we said, is the Logos. He is the Word, and he cannot be trapped. I don't care how clever you may be. We notice that the Lord, the Bible says, silenced the Sadducees. And we said that word silenced in the Greek actually means to muzzle. He muzzled them. And then we noted that when he muzzled them, the Pharisees gathered once again, and they came up with another question. They, they have been looking and planning, and they come up with the third attempt. Now get this. In their first coming with the Herodians, the Pharisees, you will note that the Bible says they sent their disciples to Jesus. They, they sent their disciples to Jesus. But you note in this third attempt, they come themselves. In this third attempt to discredit Jesus, we have Jesus standing before the people. And now while they're trying to humiliate Jesus and trying to find a way to arrest him, the Bible describes that Jesus is not going to go before his time. You see, God has a plan for your life and my life, and he is not going to be undone. You see, when it comes to the Lord carrying out his will, there's nobody that can stop him. There have been many attempts down through history 
trying to trap Jesus, trying to come up with various schemes, and they have all proven wrong, and they have not been able to succeed. And even in this case, before us. Now, we find in this occasion something quite unusual. There is a direct question that's asked of Jesus. Go back to the book of Mark and let's look at this. One of the scribes came up and heard him disputing with one another. He heard Jesus, heard Jesus disputing with the others. And seeing that he answered them well. Now, I want you to note that. This scribe had been there listening to what had been taking place before. And he noticed in his introduction that the Lord had answered the accusers well. While he gives the Lord credit, you know that people sometimes will try to butter you up right before they stab you. I don't care what you may do. You may be the best person there is. There, there's somebody that don't like you. You shouldn't work hard to try to get people just to like you. If you preach the word of God and tell the truth, there's going to be somebody that's not going to like you. You don't have a responsibility to try to please people. Your responsibility is to please the Lord. Thank God that Jesus did not forget what his mission was. It was not to, to tower to, and to, to cower to those that were trying to come after him. He knew who he was. He says that nobody takes my life. I will lay it down. And he was not going to go before time. But this scribe, this Pharisee, he, he comments and notices that Jesus responds well right before offering his question. Which commandment is the most important? Which commandment? Which commandment? Now, there are, there are two things that happens, two verses or passages that the Lord he takes this person to. But you will note that the Lord answers a person directly. Rarely do you, do you find the Lord just coming right out with an answer. He'll tell a person a parable. He'll tell a person a story. He'll tell them exactly what they need to hear, even though they may not want to hear it. The rarely do you find Jesus just coming right out and saying, here's the answer. He'll tell them what the heart of the matter is. You see, when people have come to Jesus, he oftentimes doesn't just answer the question, but he gets to the main issue. That's the problem. He tells them what they need to hear. In this case here, the Lord directly answers the question. Look at Jesus' parable. Look at Jesus' teaching when questions are posed to him. He, he, he is a master at how he goes about answering the question and getting to the heart of the matter. Even when the person came to him saying, good teacher, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When first he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Was he the Lord saying that, that, that I'm not God? No. He was, he was pointing to the matter and the fact that they only said that God was good. So when he used the word good, the Lord says, only God is good. Are you calling me God? And then the Lord goes through a series of things to really show where this man's heart is. The Lord knows where your heart is, too. While you might come in some sly way, he's going to get to the heart of the matter. 
And so the Lord answers this person. And this is what he says. Question is, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The first point that I didn't give you that we're going to be looking at is the third and final round. This is what this section is, the third and final round. When the Lord says to him, the greatest commandment, he takes them back to a passage in the book of Deuteronomy. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. For those of you who don't come to... <laughs> now, as we know this, we've talked about the Synoptic Gospels. Matthew... In his accounting of Jesus' answer does not start with verse 4. He starts with verse 5. But Mark picks up Jesus' word with 4. And this is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The Lord took them to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5 for the first part. The greatest commandment is the most important. Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel. He takes them back to the what's called the Shema. In the Hebrew, that word means hear. To the first, that first word, hear, O Israel. It is a passage of scripture that even Jewish people use today. They, they, are, they are so tied into the Old Testament that they think if they say the words and do the rituals that they're okay with God. No, no, no. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. According to Dr. R.C. Sproul, the word hear, O Israel, does not occur in any other books of the Bible except Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel. This was a favorite passage of theirs. In fact, this passage more than likely would be one of the scriptures that they not only would have memorized, but would have been folded up and put on a piece of paper and put in what's called their phylacteries. The passages and prayers, they, they had certain prayers that they would put in these boxes, and they often remembered, and they would tie them around their, their heads or put them on their wrists and had certain scriptures. This would surely be one of the ones. And so the Lord takes this man back to this passage, which is the greatest. The greatest commandment is, hear, O Israel. As I mentioned, Matthew starts at 5. And what does verse 5 say? Who has Deuteronomy 6.5? Whoever has it, read 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart, all your soul, and with all your might, and Jesus uses here mind as well as strength here. Is this something to be broken down? So wait a minute. How do I love God with all my heart? So, okay, how do I do this? My heart, and then I stop the heart, and then I start with the mind. No, no, no. This was a way of expressing. You are to love God with your whole being. You can't compartmentalize Jesus. Lord, I'll come to church when I'm, when I'm feeling better. Come to church one Sunday, gone ten. 
come to church the next Sunday, gone 12. Pray for me, church. I'll be there when I can. I'm not talking about people that are sick. I'm talking about people that somehow don't see that you need to serve God completely and wholeheartedly. And people are trying to serve God in parts. If God will do this, I'll do this. No, no, no. God is a great God. He requires all of your service. Not an arm here, not a leg there, all of you. So when the Lord said that you shall love the Lord your God and you are to serve him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, all of your being. So it's not something that you're trying to break down in parts. It was a way of making sure that all of you is included in the worship of the almighty God. Church attendance is a way that we worship God corporately. It is a way that we honor God corporately. Now there are times when a person is sick. I get that. There are times when a person has an illness and can't get to church because of their condition. I understand that. But when I consider the majesty of God, the beauty of God, what he's given me, the fact that he gives me mobility, gives me the ability to see the sun and to see the stars and to experience life, have the privilege and the freedom to walk and to drive. And how can I not worship him? And somehow we try to squeeze God into, well, God, if you do this, he's done everything already. What more can you want do you need? Serve God with your whole being, trying to demand that God does something else for you. God doesn't owe us anything. He's done it all. Didn't even have to die. He chose to die on the cross for our sins. He created the plan from the very beginning. We can't choose our own plan. It's already laid out in Scripture. We've got to follow what he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, your total being. So the Lord brings this passage to him. It is also interesting to note that when this scribe asked Jesus or told him, you have answered well, it was a way of saying that your answers have been magnificent. Your answers have been off the chart. They have been awesome. It was just like, well, no, 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 it wasn't like the well that we think of. Well, I guess so. No, it was giving God credit. They have been tremendous. So the Lord tells him how. You see, it's important to keep God's word before you so that you do not forget it. That was one of the reasons that the Lord told him, tell your children about my word when you're coming in and going out, so that when they get old and they get into the land and begin to get plenty and begin to experience the abundance of my love and my grace and all that I provided, they don't forget me. You'll find in the history of Israel, they were always forgetting God and running after somebody else's God. That's their history. Always being dissatisfied with the best and wanting something that was not even real. Your flesh will lie to you every time. Tell you that you can do better than God. Don't you know that Satan has a systematic plan for your life? He'll let you sit in the driver's seat, but you don't even know that your hands are shackled and your feet are shackled. 
He's the one that's controlling. And here you think that you're in control. He's got a systematic plan for your life. Here we are trying to do things in parts rather than serve God with our whole being. Let me move on. The second thing that the Lord does, he said there is a second command that's, that's, that's just as important. And you know what the Lord took him to? He took him to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. In fact, we're going to turn there too. Now let's go back. Genesis, Exodus, and the third book is Leviticus. Here we are. 1918. Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I hear the leaves turning. That is wonderful. You have your Bible. You can scroll to it too if you got your iPad or your phone. Now this is what it said. It takes part B of the verse. But let's read the verse. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Note carefully that Jesus focuses first on our relationship with God. And then he focuses and says the second is most important, our relationship with people. Don't you know all the commandments of God deals either with the relationship of our relationship with God vertically or with people? All 613 boil down into the Ten Commandments, boil down into these two, deal with our relationship with God and with one another. The Lord says these are the most two. These are the two most important passages and commandments thou art to obey. Because when you're doing them, you're honoring and you're pleasing the almighty God. Now I want you to know something. I was reading this. Just the day came to me. I'm saying, wow, didn't see it. The Lord gave me a revelation that here they are talking to Jesus, God. They didn't even know it. That scripture applies to him. And then if they didn't want to accept him as God, they were still on the hook because he was their neighbor. And here they are trying to entrap him, trying to have him arrested. Here they are, and he tells them, you are to love God, and then you are to love people, your neighbor. They were hating on Jesus. They were trying to kill him, trying to have him arrested, which they eventually succeeded in doing because that was part of his plan. But they tried to kill him. They wanted him to be dead now. They wanted him off the scene. And if they would have stopped and really listened to this passage, not loving their neighbor, all of the commandments wrapped up in these two. I don't know. I just can't stand such and such. I just hate such and such. But oh, bless the Lord. Oh, we had a wonderful time. Hallelujah. Oh, there they are. At the church, your spirit dropped because they went driving past you. There you go. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Those words of mine. Mm, mm, mm. They didn't mess up my day. No, they didn't. They didn't mess up your day. You did. Here you are losing sleep over somebody who ain't thinking about you at nighttime. Get some sleep and forget about them. Want to do something great? Send them a note saying, God bless you. I'm praying for you. 
mess them up, make them think, what in the world? Send them some flowers. Send them a card. And oh my goodness, they didn't lost their mind. Don't they know I've been trying to get them? Turn the situation around. <laughs> Send them some chocolate candy then. Point two, let me move on. Close to the kingdom, but not quite in. The response by the scribes helps us to think back to King Saul. When he was rebuked by Samuel for not obeying God, and Samuel said that the Lord is pleased with obedience to the law more than sacrifice. Stop trying to give God a sacrifice rather than obedience. God can't be bought off. Stop, stop trying to buy God off. What pleases God is obedience to his word. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Lord, what can I give you today to, so you can be with me today? I, I got, uh-uh. He desires to be with you. He longs to be with you. He's waiting to be with you. And here we are slowing down, trying to run. Oh, God, I ain't got time right now. I'm late, Lord. I got to get going. No, he said, Lord, I need to get where I'm going. Let's go. Thank you for this day. And go on about your business. Don't try to leave God at home. Let me just leave my religion to the side and tell this person, no, no, don't go there. The Lord's right there with you. The lawyer's response to Jesus receives a commendation by the Lord. His response, his response. How did the lawyer respond to what Jesus said? This is what he says. And the scribe in verse 32 of Mark chapter 12, and the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you, excuse me, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Not far, but not in. There's a lot of people out here saying today, I'm getting close to the God. I'm getting close to the God. I'm getting close to the God. Well, what's your goal? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to be in the Lord or just get close to him? The Lord says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. We never hear in scripture whether this man said yes to God or no. We don't know what his eventual outcome was. There's nothing other said again. We don't see anything else about him. Why not go the next step and say, what do I need to do to be in the kingdom of God? That's the next logical question. What do I, I'm close, but what do I need to do to be in? Lord, I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I, I, I accept the atonement. I accept your sacrifice for me. I know that I was standing in God's wrath and judgment, but you came and took my place. I accept the blood that you shed for me. How much does it cost? It's free to you. Cost me my life. Cost me everything, but I did it because I loved you. That's what it is. We don't hear him doing this. 
But the Lord says, you are not far. What will keep you from saying yes to the will of God? Yes to salvation. Yes. Well, what what keeps you? That's the question. When the Holy Spirit is prompting you and and is offering you freedom from the shackles that bind, what keeps you from saying yes to him? It's a dangerous place to be, to always be making plans, but to never arrive at the goal. It's all right there. Everything you need because he's done it all. You can't even respond on yourself. God gives the Holy Spirit to even prompt you to respond to him. He's the one that prompts your heart. He's the one that comes and says, it's time. And then here comes Satan systematically trying to distract you. And so when the word goes out, you got to do something with it. Do you tune it off? Do you turn it off? No, 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 I can't, can't, can't hear that now. I'm not, I'm not quite ready. Yeah, not yet. I'm getting close, but I'm not right there. Notice carefully as I bring this to a conclusion. In all of the responses that we've seen, the three, one to the Pharisees, the disciples that came with the Herodians, the Lord responded to the group. With the Sadducees, he responded to the group. And even though this lawyer is speaking on behalf of the group, it is the Lord who responds to his response. Individually, Note carefully, the Lord says to him specifically and individually, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You, there's an individual call and appeal to you. You can't hide in the group. You can't hide behind the scenes. The call is individual. Jesus is responding to the individual and is responding to you. What are you going to do? Almost saved doesn't make it. Going to church and almost being saved is not saved. Only in Christ are you saved. By it. Somebody in this place right now that has never said yes Lord I want in. I want in. I'm on the outside looking in. I want in. The Lord says just accept what I've done. Accept me as your Lord and Savior. As it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God commendeth. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still in our sins as sinners, Christ, he died for us. The invitation to you, don't let Satan right now systematically pick you apart. Anybody in this place says, I've never said yes to the Lord. I'm ready. Put your hand up and put it back down. We'll do this privately. I'll spend time with you. I'm ready. Anybody in this place that has never said yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. If I stepped out the doors right now, you said, I'm ready to meet my master. Oh, God wants the whole. 
Lord, we honor you today. We all do surrender to you. Those that have said yes. There's some, there's, there's, there's some people that, have, that are struggling. Lord, I know, I know, I know. But all oh, we are praying that the Holy Spirit does not let people alone. Don't let them loose. Don't give them the freedom to die apart from you. Don't give them, Lord, security and them thinking that they can make it. No, no, it's the trick of the enemy. We want people saved. It's the Holy Spirit that brings conviction. Holy Spirit, we ask that you just do your work in the lives of the unsaved. Now for those who are saved, those who have said yes, Lord, we are praying. There will be a radical change in our lives. There will be a radical humbling of ourselves before the cross of Christ. Not thinking that, oh, I'm okay. I said yes to the Lord, but not living life to your glory, nor the purpose to which you've called us to. Almost saved. No, we want to be completely saved. And in Christ. We're praying today that you will be with us and help us. May this word not be stolen nor picked by the birds, by the enemy. But may the word take root, the seed grow mid-blossom. We honor you this day. We give glory to your name this day. We magnify you this day and worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Let's give God a hand. Let's give God a hand of praise in this place as we prepare to go, remembering that God's got the best plan for your very lives. Let's stand to our feet, and as you stand to your feet and prepare to go, I'm going to ask you this. Am I trying to serve God in parts, or am I trying to serve him as in a whole, as, as a whole, my, as my whole being? If I, am I giving my whole self to him? Am I trying to do it in parts, or am I bringing my whole being? That's what you've got to think about this week.